we're, we're starting to see a lot more language over the, the last week or two on this is uh, the Iran nuclear program that's, that's been building up. So most of the information you're getting from this comes from, um, f from Israel. Most of the, like, the Jerusalem Post and things like that is where I see most of the information. You don't really see much about this uh, in America. But one of the things that, we're s that, that just happened this week is that uh, America's ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides, Ambassador Tom Nides, he came out with a statement that said um, that I, Iran, the Iran nuclear program is very close to break out. Uh, this is, so I've been saying for months and months now, Iran has, the, has nuclear capabilities. That's not the problem. The, the problem is uh, their delivery system. They can't get it somewhere. They, they have it, but they'd have to like carry it into like in a suitcase or something like that. And so they need, they need missile delivery systems, and they're getting very close to being able to do that. Now, not all the way here to the United States, but in mass, they're getting close to being able to accomplish that for, uh, for Israel. And interestingly, a lot of uh, Arab Muslim countries in that area are starting to, um, to kind of go along with Israel on some things. We've seen some countries that have put their embassies in Israel, and uh, these are very strong pro-Israeli um, I mean, a pro-Muslim, anti-Israeli countries. And so this is, this is kind of ramping up, just, just letting you see that, process that, um, pray about that. This is, this is where the focus of the world is. It's there. It's not here in America. Okay, there's a lot of talk about recently about EMPs and things like that in America, and that's a, that's a real possible threat to America, but it's not like a nuclear threat yet at this stage. And so... So be paying attention to that. Be thinking about that, praying about it. Um, that's where everything is going down. Uh, something else that I noticed. <clears throat> so two weeks ago, Governor Polis made a, an announcement that uh, RSV has been put on the potential emergency list. And um, this is a setup. I've, I've been talking about this for a while. This is a setup for another um, closing our state down kind of mentality. He has to have a reason to do it. And, and people are asking, well, why does he, what does he get from this? What does he gain? And there's a lot of things that he gains. One is when you're a narcissist, you gain control is a big thing for you. And that's, that's, it. that's one of his biggest deals. But really the other side of this is there's a lot of federal funding that comes along with, with um, lockdowns and pandemics and all that kind of stuff. And so he just, in the last couple of days, um, I've heard it through the grapevine, and I, I actually am part of a grapevine now, <clears throat> that, um, that uh, he's already got the, uh, the, the policy or the writ prepared to uh, lock down our state again. And so here's what I've been telling everybody. And anytime I was doing speeches and stuff like that, I've been explaining this, and I've put it on, um, on, on Facebook and things like this is just don't go along with it. It's an unconstitutional order. You have the right as a citizen to not go along with an unlawful executive order. You actually have that right. And this is what I've been telling pastors a lot, is pastors, your church is actually mentioned in the Constitution. Don't close down. Just don't close down. If churches won't close down, the rest of the country will go right along with the churches. But but we've been... We've been horrible about this. We've been very irresponsible to society and to the people, um, businesses and things like that. And so whatever influence you have in areas, tell people, don't, don't shut down. Don't go along with the rules. You don't have to do it. It doesn't make you a bad person. It actually makes you a good person, in my opinion. And so, so process that um, a little bit. Obviously, <clears throat> my voice is a little different today. Um, I, um, I took a Barry White pill, <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I, I'm, I'm all right. I'm not like in pain or anything. It just is difficult to, uh, to talk a little bit, so be patient with me. <clears throat> I was thinking about, so I'm sitting at Thanksgiving, and I'd flown uh, my son, daughter-in-law, and my grandkids in as a surprise to Linda. Um, we were, we, she got to see him a couple weeks ago, but I didn't, so I wanted to surprise her with the grandkids. And so, um, 
Um, Isaac and Amanda knew. They kind of helped me set it up, but we didn't tell Emily. She doesn't keep secrets. So, so um, but I was sitting there thinking about this during Thanksgiving and watching the family, and we're all there together and, and uh, just, enjoying, um, just enjoying the kids being here and hanging out and, and the grandkids wanting to play everything in the world. And In fact, my son and daughter-in-law at one time said, you know, you don't have to do what they say. Just because they call you to do something doesn't mean you have to listen. You can tell them no. I'm like, I, I, I was telling you no when you were two. I know how to tell a two-year-old no, but I choose not to. <laughs> and, uh, and we played every little game you can imagine, every little thing. And I just love, I love hearing a two-year-old and four-year-old voice say, Papa, come here, let's do this. And so I was sitting there thinking about this and and uh, watching everybody sitting around the table and, and, um, and, and, and thinking to myself, you know, this whole Thanksgiving thing, what are you thankful for? You know, all the stuff that, that you process. And, and then thinking about, you know, the direction of our world and, and my grandkids growing up in this, in this context, it, it, it makes me, um, it worries me. You know, there's some, and, and I know I've said this before, I don't want to overdo this, I don't want to make you afraid, but parents of small children, I... My heart goes out for you. I'm praying for you. I, I didn't have to raise my kids in this kind of thing. I mean, every generation's got its thing, but it's not like, when I mean, you look back over all the rest, it's not like we are right now. Okay, this, is, this is literally Sodom and Gomorrah territory. And um, just thinking about that and thinking what I'm thankful for and my kids. And, and you know, I'm, so I'm going through a list in my head of all of the stuff. And, and I'm sitting at a table um, eating food, thankful for most of that. I caught myself going... And the brisket, Lord, thank you for brisket. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but just going down through stuff, and, and here's one of the things that I think is very important for us as human beings, is you can actually change your, your mindset, your worldview, your attitude. You can fight against things like depression and stuff like that very simply by basically one thing, having a thankful heart. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that, that this is God's will for you to be thankful. Be thankful in, in everything, in all things. This is God's will for you. And the reason is because it, it gives us a different mindset. When you're always thinking about the stuff you don't have or things you can't do or, or places you can't go or all the stuff somebody else has that you don't have, that kind of thing, that, that's, where it begins, that's where Satan begins to use that to manipulate you. And that's where, that's where the attitudes and the thoughts and the depressiveness, all that kind of stuff comes into play because you're, you're, you're tilling the ground and planting those seeds. And so being thankful, being thankful for everything. You say, well, there's some really difficult stuff in life. Yes, there is. But right in the middle of difficult stuff, you can be thankful for things. And sometimes, and this is usually after the fact, but sometimes you can actually learn to be thankful for stuff negatively even while it's happening. I know that's very difficult, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm good at that. In fact, I'm not. But, but I, I have learned now in life to the things that have happened, thank, thank you, God, that you let me go through that. Thank you that you let me learn and develop and process and, and uh, those kind of things. Because no, nobody learns anything from, from uh, when life is doing great. We don't learn stuff. We don't really grow during those times. We don't mature. Sometimes you might. But most of our maturation and development comes from the difficult times. And we all know that. Now, that doesn't mean we run into difficult times. But we know that's where our growth comes from, our maturity comes from. And so learning to be thankful. And so I'm, so I'm sitting there and I'm processing this and I'm thinking about my grandkids and, um, you know, what could I what could I do for them? And I'm just, you know, I'm just doing all this in my head. I'm thinking, okay, if I had endless financial resources and I could get my grandkids anything that they wanted, would that be beneficial? And there's things I would like to do. I, I would like to be able to fly them up to see us every weekend. <clears throat> but that's, I mean, we don't have those kind of resources. But would that be beneficial? And then you think, well, well, if I could... You know, the natural ways you process. If I could build a college fund for my kids, which I'm not so sure that higher education is going to exist like it does now by the time my kids get there. It's, it is crumbling so fast right now. I don't know what it's going to look like. So, so what if I had unlimited financial resources? What could I do for my grandkids? Or what if, 
What if I had all kinds of connections and things like that? What could I do for them? And as I'm processing through this, and then, you know, one of the things that the conclusions I came up with is that um, one of the best things that I can do for my grandkids is to truly love them, really love them. Um, just love them the best that I can unconditionally and do the best I can to, to um, exhort them in Christ, uh, those kind of things, right? And then I began to think about what could I actually tell my, my grandkids and pass this along. One of the nights they were here, we, we had the opportunity, the, the, um, the, the kids went out to dinner and uh, left the grandkids with Lynn and I. And so we're playing and doing all that stuff. And then I got to um, put them to bed and Lynn and I read stories to them and, and I told them stories. And I always did this with my kids. You open a book, but they can't read. So you make up the story, right? And you make it better than that stupid little story in the book. And so, it, and, I, and I'm sitting there laying down with them. We're laying in the bed, and we're all reading and playing and talking and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I miss that with my kids. I, we did that with our kids every night of their life. And I miss that. And I'm sitting there with the grandkids, and so then I start praying for them and talking to them. And I can't help them. I got into pastor mode, you know. I preach a little sermon to them and... So here's, a, here's a things, uh, um, some things that I, that I came up with that, that uh, this is what I, I want my grandkids to know I'm thankful for, okay? And it all starts with the fact that Jesus loves all of us, right? Guys, we, we've got to know this. I know, I know you hear this, and I say this, and you say it, and all this. But guys, sometimes if you're not careful, you don't really know this at the core of your existence. Jesus really does love you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. That he really does have what, it, what we call unconditional love. He loves you completely. In fact, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I was watching a thing a couple months ago by Dennis Prager, and I, really, I greatly respect Dennis Prager, um, but he's Jewish, and that affects this thought process. He does not believe in unconditional love by God. He believes that God's love is conditional. And he says, and this is, one, this is exactly the sentence he said. He said, you really think that God loves Hitler? Yeah. See, Jesus came to this earth. God, part of the Trinity, Jesus came to this earth and died for everybody. He died for Hitler. I know that's difficult for people to process. But Jesus died for Hitler the same way he died for you. And Jesus loves Hitler the same way he loves you. And he gave himself for Hitler just like he gives himself to you. But I know, I, I know sometimes we, we don't process it that way because, well, Hitler's a really bad guy. Because here's the reality. Jesus died for sin. Sin's the bad guy. And he died so that our sins can be forgiven. And that includes you. He died so that your sins and my sins can be forgiven. Why? Because we're sinners. That's why we need that. It's not the gravity of the sin. It's the reality of sin. And he dies for us. And Jesus loves you completely. And here's the reality is he also loves the people you don't like. That's where it gets difficult, right? He loves the people that you can't stand to be around. He loves the people that have wronged you. He loves the people that have done mean things to you. He loves them. And, and that's where all of this has to start. So the first thing is that Jesus wants me to be with him forever. This is, this is what I'm thankful for. This is what I want my grandkids to know, is that Jesus wants to be with them forever. I know I, I, I talked about this a lot of different times over the past, but this, I, I think one of the biggest things that we miss when Adam and Eve sin and they are, they are uh, forced out of the garden, is that God doesn't get to hang out with us anymore. We always think about it from our point of view. Well, I don't get to hang out with God. I don't get to talk with God. I wish he would talk to me face to face. Our sin is what's the problem there. It's not God. God wants to be with us. He wants to hang out with us. He created Adam and Eve to hang out with them. He created them to be with them, to talk with them and walk with them and interact with them. Jesus, from the very beginning, Jesus' plan was to marry humanity. 
And then we choose something besides God. We choose to go and, and give ourselves to something besides God. This has got to hurt his feelings. In fact, we know that God gets angry <clears throat> at sin. But I think he gets way more hurt when we sin than, than, than him getting angry. I think he gets angry. Yes, his scripture tells us that. But I think he gets hurt more than anything else. Because for some reason, you've chosen something besides him. Whatever the reason is not important, whatever you've chosen is not important. The reality is, is, is choosing something besides God and his plan and his grace and his mercy. That's, that's the point. And at this stage of life, now growing up, I was, I was scared of hell. And, um, and when I sinned, I just was scared that God was going to immediately send me to hell. Right. And the fact that everything was a sin when I was growing up, you know, that didn't help. But I, I was scared of hell. But as I've grown closer to the Lord over the years, fear of hell is not really my thing. I, I don't really process it like that. But I definitely don't want to hurt God's feelings. And I definitely don't want him to be disappointed in me. I don't want him to be angry with me. And I've had people tell me, oh, the Lord won't get disappointed with you. You're not reading the Bible if you think that. God gets very disappointed with us. He gets angry with us. All these things. Why? Because we choose something besides him. But my heart today, nowadays, is more moved by the fact that I don't want him to be hurt by this. I don't want to push him away. I don't want him to think that I'm choosing something besides him. And that, to me, that's a, a stronger motivator right now. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. Now, again, this has nothing to do with God's timelines. This means God's outside of timelines. I've had people say this. In fact, I saw this 20, 30, 30 plus years ago. I saw a book that, um, that uh, Jimmy Swagger had written about end times, and, and he kind of was an uh, evolutionary creationist. And, um, and he said creation took 7,000 years because each day is like 1,000 years. Like, that has nothing to do with what Peter's saying. It's zero. This is not a timeline for God. But why do we do that? Because, well, for evolution to work, think about it. Seven days, 7,000 years, not going to help much. You need seven quabazillion years for evolution to actually work. It does not work, no matter how much time you have. But we just keep saying longer because that's probably all the, the secret. 7,000 years doesn't fix anything for creation. It's It's goofy. If God could create the heavens and the earth in 7,000 years, he can do it in seven days. There's no difference. This is not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is God is not limited to time the way that we are, and God is the one that's in charge of everything. That's what he's saying. So then he says, the Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. This, this idea about being slow about his promise kind of tears apart a, a predestination mentality. That everything is predestined to happen according to a certain timeline and all this other kind of stuff. There's so many scriptures that, that disagree with that. And one right here is that the Lord is being slow, purposefully being slow. That's not a, that's not a, a, a structured timeline. That's a there's already kind of a timeline, and he's delaying it. Now, why is he doing it? No, he's being patient for your sake. It's you. You're the problem. <laughs> um, he's being slow about this because he loves us. He's being patient because of us. He loves us. He doesn't want this, this whole thing to end. Now, when things get bad and pressures happen, and I, I'm like you, you know, in my head I think, well, Jesus, just come back. It would be so much easier. You know, the John statement, um, even so, Lord, come quickly. But see, he's being slow because of you and also because of your neighbor. And because of somebody else. So you say, well, I, I belong to Jesus. Well, come back, Jesus. You know, that's a very selfish statement. I belong to Jesus, so let's get this thing wrapped up. Well, what about your next-door neighbor that doesn't belong to Jesus? And if Jesus finishes this right now, they go to hell. That's why he's being slow. Because he loves people. And he wants to spend eternity with you and I. 
He wants to spend eternity with my grandkids, and I want them to know that. And he really likes them. And he really likes you. I know sometimes these things are hard, depending on your past or how you look at relationships or God or all these things. It's hard for us sometimes to think, well, God really likes me. But he does. He really likes you. He likes you so much that he gives you air every single day to breathe. He likes you so much that he gives you bacon. That's a God of love right there. But this is, this is also the next step is he really does want to spend the rest of eternity with you. That You've got to grab onto that. He wants to spend eternity with you. That's why he's done this whole thing. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everybody to repent. There, there's, a, there's this belief system in, church, in the church world called limited atonement. That's a Calvinist belief. Basically what that means is that Jesus only died for some people. They're called the elect or the chosen. Okay, That's not scriptural. He just says right here, let me read it again. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. So who did Jesus die for? Everyone. He died for you. He died for me. He died for everybody. He died for, the, for your enemies. He died for his enemies. He died for everybody. He died for people across the planet right now that hate the very idea of Jesus. But he still died for them. And he wants them to repent. This is, this is, this is where this relationship part comes in. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Judgment still is coming. This, the love of Christ does not take away judgment. The love of Christ tries to save you from it. Jesus died to save you from the coming judgment. And there is coming judgment. It's going to happen. It doesn't change that. But he is being slow about it. He's being patient for you and I because he wants this relationship. He wants to spend eternity with you. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> I um, saw a uh, Carl Jung a quote the other day. And he said, religion exists to keep us away from experience. And um, I, th I thought, man, that's a pretty, pretty solid statement. I, I would like to amend it just a little bit because I'm way smarter than Carl Jung. But here's, where I, here's how I would amend that is religion exists to keep you away from relationship, not just experience. Sometimes experience um, can be a, uh, contrived. Sometimes experience created can be created in your own existence. But relationship with Jesus cannot be created in your existence. It has to start with him. And religion keeps us from that. Religion is a very destructive force. Religion is death. Religion, is, is, um, it, religion kills people. Religion destroys stuff. And I've had people, you know, I've seen this, and you, you've heard things like this, where they talk about, well, yeah, well, Christianity was responsible for the Crusades or Christianity or whatever. There may have been a religion called Christianity uh, or Catholicism or whatever the name they had at the time that they were using, but Christians weren't involved in the Crusades. You understand what I'm saying? Church people were, but not Christians. Christians, same thing with with um, Bonhoeffer in World War II and the Church of Germany and all this stuff, that the Church of Germany was, um, was complicit in the, in the killing of the Jews. That is a true statement. But Christians were not complicit in the killing of Jews. Christians don't kill Jews. Christians don't attack people. This whole thing, I, don't, I know you've been paying attention to this, but the Club Q shooting... I, um, there was an article written, and in that article, three, group, three people were mentioned. Focus on the family, and by the way, they were attacked because of this. Then Lauren Boebert and me. I was mentioned in the article that we're the reason that people go into gay nightclubs and shoot them up. 
Guys, it's the opposite of reality and truth. That's the opposite. Christians don't go in and shoot places up. They don't. If, if somebody says, well, the church, there's a difference between what society calls the church and what Jesus calls the church and who Jesus says is his body. Christians don't attack homosexuals. They don't. By the way, the shooter was non-binary. He attacked his own. He was a regular at that club. But they like to, to spin it so that Christians are the bad guys. As you, you can't be, look, at, look at this. The second thing here that, that I am thankful for that I would like to see as part of my existence is the fact that Jesus leads me every single day. Well, here's the reality. Jesus is not going to lead you to do something um, horrible to somebody. He's not. If you're doing it, it's because of you. It is not because of Jesus. Christians don't act like that. The world acts like that. This, I don't know if you were paying attention, but the, uh, the, the day after the club coup shooting, maybe two days after, a manager of a Walmart went in and shot up the Walmart, killed six people. And he said in there, now you're not going to see this on CNN. I, I haven't found this except one um, conservative site that, that uh, did an interview and quoted this. But he said the reason he did that is because he was um, uh, being obedient to the Satan what he said well here is here that that is satan can lead you or jesus can lead you there's there's not any other choices you say well i'm going to live my life according to my own way and i don't i'm not being led by anybody surprise you are at satan if you're if you're letting the holy spirit lead you that's one thing but if you're letting anything else lead you satan's manipulating you and playing you Psalms chapter 25. I, I'm only going to read the first seven verses. I would love it if every one of you would read all of Psalms 25. It's not crazy long. Read all of Psalms 25 today. How many of you make a commitment to me right now that you will read Psalms 25? Raise your hand. I didn't see. Did you raise your hand? No? Raise your hand. Right. Okay, good. It doesn't matter if I see you. It just matters if Jesus sees you. So, <clears throat> Psalms chapter 25, verse 1. Oh, Lord, I give my life to you. Because that's where it starts. If you want the Lord to lead you, you give your life to him. You give your life to him. This is, this is one of the things I've watched for years and years. I watched it as a kid, teenager, and as a, as a pastor since 20 years old. I've seen this more times than I can ever count. It's people that get mad at God. Because God is not there for them during a big time of their life, although they have kept God at arm's distance for most of their life. They have this casual, at best, relationship with God, and then when they need God to do something, God's not there to do it because he's still keeping them accountable with the relationship they desire. You want me to be a part-time God in your life and just off to the side and don't really have input? Okay. And then all of a sudden, God, I need desperately, I need you to do some inputting right now. And God's saying, this is my perception. God is saying, this is not the relationship we have. Now, with that, let's put grace and God's love in there. And it's amazing how he jumps immediately back into our life oftentimes and takes care of stuff. I had somebody years ago said, oh, so-and-so doesn't come to church except when something goes bad, and then they come to church. And I thought, well, that's the best option for them. Why are you picking on them? That's a good option. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> what they were saying is, yeah, but they're never here the other times. Okay, but maybe this is the moment that changes everything. At least their answer was to come to church and not to drugs or something else. Let's, let's be graceful with those situations. Right? But if we really want God to guide and lead our steps, then we've got to be going after him and pursuing his voice and his spirit and his guidance. Not just hoping God just makes it happen somehow. Very first sentence, oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you, my God. Do not let me be disgraced or let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. 
No one who trusts in you will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. This is an interesting thing about how um, Satan tries to manipulate people. There's Psalms, Proverbs, both talk about these kind of things a lot. And Psalms says um, something along the lines of a, a uh, non-greedy person cannot easily be cheated. Why, why are we easily, I'm talking specifically in the financial arena, why can we easily be cheated? Because we really do think that there is, um, that there is this uh, magic formula that's, that's going to, we can unlock and we're going to gain all this stuff. Right? That, that I'm the only person that has figured out how to become uh, instantly overnight wealthy. That's greed. And that's how people manipulate you. If, if you're not guided by greed and trying to get something for nothing, you won't be easily manipulated. You won't be easily tricked. It's the greed that does that. And, and that's what people play on our greed every single day to try to get something. Of course, that's why you, you see sales. Black Friday, 75% off. And we go, I need it. What is it? Doesn't matter. 75% off. Right? Those kind of things scratch in the back of our head, and we think, we think there really is get something for nothing mentality. You, you can't be disgraced unless you're trying to deceive others, and then you can be disgraced. You, you, can, you can set this up along the way, a lot of different things in our life. The reason that you can be um, manipulated, the reason that you can be disgraced, the reason that you can um, um, have relationships break down a lot of different times is because what, what we're doing sets us up for those failures. When you're complete, completely committed to God and you're pursuing his path, the chances of these things happening become much, much less in your life. There's still, there's still life you have to navigate. But when you're pursuing God, he takes care of you. He takes care of you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, financially. He takes care of you. But you've got to really be pursuing him, not, not fake pursuing him, but really all in with him. And it's amazing what he can do. So show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. Man, that's a the daily prayer for me. God, I need your plan. I need your will. I pray that for our church. God, we need you. We need your direction. We need what you want us to do. As I'm, as I'm going to Denver, God, I'm praying, God, I, I, need, I need what you want, not what I think. I need your plans, what you desire. Because that's, if, if I'm not going to do that, why go? Oh, and I did want to mention uh, my wife has set up a little prayer thing for people that want to be a part of this. <clears throat> and um, it, basically, if, like I'll text her, this is what's going on right now, or pray for this, whatever, and then she'll send that out to everybody saying, pray, pray for this, or pray for pastor, or pray whatever. Um, it may be some kind of legislation or something like that, but it's going to be a very regular thing. I'm not saying like every day, but almost kind of every day kind of thing. Um, if you want to be a part of that, where you get the, is it emails, stuff? What, if you want to be a part of that, talk to her, because I don't know how you be a part of that. <clears throat> but I think it's a great plan. I just don't know how it works. So, lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love which you have shown me from long ages past. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. How many of you have ever prayed that? Man, more than I can count. God, you know, you, you, you're living life, no big deal, and all of a sudden you remember something. You're like, how could I have done that? How could I have been that person? And then you repent of it for the 480th time, Right? But, but I, I believe that this is something strong we can live on is that, that um, Jesus does forgive us. That's where I'm getting to next. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love for you are merciful, O Lord. So the third thing here is that Jesus forgave me. As the longer you're a Christian, the more, if you're not careful, the more you can take forgiveness for granted. In fact, I've seen this throughout my life is 
that um, sometimes that's the group that's picking on the new Christian or the person that's just come into church and is not a Christian yet. This is something that is happening, and this may include some of you right here in this room, but back in the day when I was a kid, if somebody came to church, they came to church to get saved, okay? Our country is much more churched at that time and had a lot more knowledge of Scripture and understanding of things of a spiritual nature, and so they would come to church to get saved. And so most of the time, they'd come to, to service and get saved that day, right? Um, we've seen a transition and a trend change quite a bit that nowadays, statistically, the average person sits in a church six to nine months before they make a decision to actually accept Jesus as their Savior. Now, I actually kind of understand that, all right? That actually resonates with my the way I think and process a lot more than just go into a church and, um, and get saved, okay? Now, I don't visit churches very often, like once every five or ten years, um, but I can't see myself walking to church and saying, okay, I'm here to get saved. The way I process this is I need to know what they're really preaching. I need to know what they really think. Specifically, if I don't understand this Christianity thing, I need to know the information. And I'm going to have to take that and process it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliberate on that in my mind and spirit and with my wife. That's the way I would do that. So I understand when somebody says, I, I don't, I'm not sure yet. I totally get that. Right? What we have to remember, if you've been a Christian a long time, <coughs> is you have to be able to give <coughs> people that space. And the longer you're a Christian, if you're not careful, you take for granted salvation. You take for granted forgiveness. And you kind of forget who you used to be, right? You forget the stuff and the things. And we don't want anybody to bring that stuff out, but, it, but then sometimes the church will pick on people for being the same thing they were. But they haven't got saved yet. Or they're brand new Christians, and they're still trying to figure some of this stuff out. A lot of times, brand new Christians, they don't know this stuff. Because why? Nobody's told them. They haven't read it. They don't know this kind of thing. We've got to give people grace and mercy through this. But I think the way that we do this is that we focus in on the fact that I, I have been forgiven. So that's why I forgive others. I have grace in my life. That's why I extend grace. I have mercy in my life. That's why I give mercy. And, and we've got to make sure that we, that we keep this. Jesus chose me and to, to be forgiven. Okay, he died on the cross for me. But I, but I must stay focused on that the rest of my life. And another thing that happens is if you're not careful, the more you take forgiveness for granted, the more your heart can be hardened and you don't actually realize that you're not walking in forgiveness anymore. You don't even know it. That's the scripture in Revelation where he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but lukewarm, you just spit. You, lukewarm is the worst place to be because why? You think you're hot. Cold people know they're cold. Cold people can be reached with the gospel. Cold people can be reached with truth. Cold people don't struggle with the reality that they are sinners. It's the lukewarm that think they're good and they're not, but they can't be reached because they think they're good. Everything's fine. Everything's all right. They're on top of everything. They're the best Christian around. But they've forgotten what it really means to walk in humility and forgiveness and God's grace. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. This is what Christians are supposed to look like. As we've got to be striving toward this stuff. If you, if you see in any of this stuff that I'm reading, if you see where you're coming up short, talk to God about it. Deal with it. Don't wait till later. Talk to God right now. Deal with this. That you've got to clothe yourself. That means it's a choice. With tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. We should just do that in marriage. Just start there. Do that in family. 
make allowance for each other's faults. Guys, if we, if we all did this better, I'm, I'm not saying here at Bargate, although that's true, but if the church did this better, it would be amazing what the world would actually see from the church, how the church would be perceived by society. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord likes you. He likes them. This is who he is. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves them. The Lord forgave you. Guess what? You're supposed to forgive them. Because that's his plan. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Always be thankful. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, this is the Lord's will for you. Always be thankful. In everything, be thankful. That will change your thinking on so much stuff. Thank God for stuff you don't even want to be thankful for. Years ago, years ago, I was 21, 22, right, that time frame. And uh, there was this, this family in the church that just irritated me. I, the, nothing, everything they did grated on me. And uh, the kids were in our youth group. And um, like the kids, but mom and dad just drove me nuts. And so um, we, were, we were actually driving over to their house. They'd invited us over for dinner, and we're driving over to their house, and I, I had put a cassette in. And I was listening to um, this message, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure it was by uh, John Maxwell. And he was talking about the 101% principle. He said, Take, find one thing about them that you can tolerate, one thing, and put all of your resources, emotional, mental, energy, everything, into focusing on that. The one thing. And, and I began to talk, Linda and I began to talk, and there was actually many things about them that were good, solid. They were actually very good people. The problem was me, right? And so I, I picked one of these things, and I just began to thank God for that and pray for them and thank God for that and pray for them. And we resigned a couple years later um, and went to a different church to be a youth pastor. And when I resigned, I walked into the board meeting, and he was one of the board members. And, and I'd already talked to my pastor about this, and that was difficult and emotional. And... and uh, but, but one of the most difficult moments I had right there was telling him that I was resigning and leaving because God had put him so deeply in my heart. I loved him so much by the time we left. The problem was me. It wasn't him. It wasn't any of the circumstances. It was me. His focus on the stuff about people that is good. Focus in. Be thankful for a human Be thankful. Let God be in charge of you. It says, let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. You understand the word message means that this is something to be carried on to other people. It's it's not just the truth of something, which also would denote that, but the fact that he uses the term message, this message is supposed to be um, continued. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives, consume you, Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Spiritual songs is stuff that comes from you. It's it's not something somebody else has written, like one of the songs we sing. It's written by somebody else. It's just God put something in you. Just sing it out. Just worship God with that. Sing it out and you say, well, I'm a horrible singer. I don't want anybody to hear me. Then don't do it around people. That's simple. Even even in this gathering, when we're worshiping together, you say, well, I'm a horrible singer. Then sing quietly. If it bothers you, it's not going to bother other people as much as you think it's going to. Well, I'm a horrible singer. Well, then sing quietly. Nobody else cares, but if you do, sing quietly. But worship, sing. Sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs that you create. Just sing to God. Just sing to him. Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Verse 17, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Is that one right there is convicting enough? Are we doing everything we're in our life as a representative of Christ? 
giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to represent Jesus in my, in my life, in my marriage, in my, in my uh, language, actions. I want to represent Jesus. Linda will pick on me sometimes if I'm doing something or saying something she doesn't like. And the way she does this is she calls me pastor. She never calls me pastor until I'm doing something wrong. And then she'll say, um, excuse me, Pastor Bottoms. And I know somewhere I've crossed the line. So this is the thing. Do you realize I don't live my life so that I will be considered to be a good pastor? Do you know that? I don't. That doesn't, it, it affects her, but it doesn't affect me. I don't, I don't try to think to myself, what would a pastor do right now? Because I know pastors that embezzle. Lie, cheat, commit adultery. I don't want my bar to be being a good pastor. My bar is I represent Jesus. If you, if you let that be your bar, it's amazing what God can accomplish in your life. Why don't you stand with me? <coughs> so I want you to do a very similar thing to what I did. When I'm sitting at the table for Thanksgiving and I'm looking at my family and I'm looking, watching my grandkids, I want you to do the same thing. God, what am I truly thankful for? What am I truly thankful for? I am thankful for my Jeep. But if that Jeep blows up tomorrow, Lord, please don't let my Jeep blow up tomorrow. If that Jeep blows up tomorrow, I'm going to be able to make it. I'm going to get through life. Right? You understand what I'm saying. If my house burns to the ground, I'm going to be able to get through life. But without Jesus, i got nothing. I can't make it. Really think to yourself, what am I really thankful for? I mean, really. And maybe do some reorganizing priorities. What am I really thankful for? What about life right now? Most important. Let's pray. God, we, we just surrender ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the everything. You're the king. You're the ruler. You're the lover of my soul. Lord, I pray that every person in here knows deeply in their spirit knows that you really do like them. That you love them more than they could ever know. And that you want to spend the rest of eternity with them. God, help us to see that right now, every one of us. God, get in our minds and our spirits. Help us to see that. Lord Jesus, there is judgment coming. We understand that. That you're being patient about this because you love us. That you're dragging your feet because another person needs to be saved. Lord, my, my neighbor, my coworker, my family member needs to be saved. God, help me do something about it. Lord, help us to know that we know that we're forgiven. God, and I'm thankful for this. More than I could ever verbalize, I'm thankful for this. <clears throat> Keep your head bowed, and I want, I want to ask you this question. This is the question I ask myself, is do I, do I struggle with being thankful? Is my natural bent to be thankful or to be um, anxious? Is it to be thankful or unthankful? Is it to be thankful or critical? Am I thankful or am I complaining? So ask yourself, am I struggling with being thankful? In fact, let me ask you this way. If you say, I, I am struggling with this, need to be more thankful. I'd like you just to put your hand up. You need to be more thankful. All right. 
be more thankful. God, you, you convict me with this. Convict every one of us in this room. For those that raise their hands, God, convict them right now. They don't have to be this way. They can choose to be thankful. Lord, that, that may be years of filters and baggage that bring us to these conclusions. So, Lord, help us. God, help us. I believe you can release us right now from any kind of criticalness or whatever is driving that. God, I also know that it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a lifelong fight. God, I want to be thankful. I want to have a thankful attitude. I want to look at the world around me and be glad that I'm in it. I want to look at people and see them as opportunities to love somebody, to connect with them and to connect them with you. When I see circumstances, Lord, that I want to see an opportunity to shine like you. Lord, that I'm thankful that the sun comes up every day. I'm thankful for my family, for my wife, for my church family, for my grandkids. I'm thankful. God, help me to be thankful for the things that I don't like. Help me to be thankful that I'm, that even in the middle of issues and persecution and everything, you're still with me. Change my heart into a thankful heart. And I pray that all across this room, every hand, those that didn't raise their hands, Lord, help us to be truly thankful people. try this some of your personalities will like this some won't you figure out if you want to do it but you can do it mentally too but maybe make a list these are the things that I really am thankful for and you might be surprised at how quickly you don't have enough time to finish that list you could go on forever things I'm thankful for really truly thankful for so before noon tomorrow God's going to give you the opportunity use, use Thanksgiving coming back to work Use Thanksgiving as an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus. Use being thankful. Use killing a turkey to tell somebody about Jesus. However you can do that. And uh, God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.